Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we're going to continue our Best of TOS series as we review Season 1, Episode 28 of Star Trek, the original series, City on the Edge of Forever. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Hey, dude, I am glad to be here doing something different with my recording tonight, and it is distracting me like crazy, but I'm here, and I'm glad to be here. How about you? How are you? I'm doing good, man, but you know, Cal Jones, as long as you have your recorder, I'm sure you, you're happy inside, right? <laughs> oh, dear. I'm quite happy. I have my recorder. You want me to play my recorder? Oh, God. I've, I've unleashed a beast. <laughs> <laughs> From the Ready Room Studios. We have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? I am doing great, man. Doing great. I am glad to be recording again. Uh, sad that we can't talk about a new episode of Discovery. And I'm even sadder that it'll be probably be this time next year before we do. Aww. But we do have plenty of other trick we could cover. So that excites me all the same. Plenty, plenty, plenty. <laughs> and also from the Red Room Studios, we have Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, and I'm glad to be back, glad to be here. Also excited to talk about this episode. Are you really excited? Yeah. I mean, are are you really excited? Yeah. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. Of, of course, City on Edge Forever is a iconic fan favorite episode that I can't wait to dive into, especially in the context of Terra Firma 1, 1 and 2 from Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. So this is our best of TOS series. So far, we have reviewed Balance of Terra, Space Seed, which we reviewed like probably mid-year last year at this point and continuing on with City on Edge Forever. And if you want to watch up for the next review, it's going to be Amok Time, which is uh, the first episode of season two of TOS. It's a good one. So what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek. In somewhat obsessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek, please leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are currently listening on. And, you know, make sure you don't listen to the episode by doing so. Well, guys, we will go ahead and get right into our review of Star Trek, the original series, City on the Edge Forever, from Wikipedia. Um, the City on the Edge Forever is the 28th and penultimate episode of the first season of American science fiction series, Star Trek. The episode had many writers contributing to the finished product, but mainly it's written by Harlan Ellison with, you know, Roddenberry and others uh, contributing into the final product. The episode was directed by Joseph Pevney and aired on NBC on April 6, 1967. The episode received widespread critical acclaim and has been frequently stated to be the best episode of the entire franchise, with it finally received by cast, crew and critics. It won several awards, including Writers Guild of America Award, Best Episodic Drama on Television, and the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. When a temporarily insane Dr. McCoy accidentally changes history and destroys his time, Kirk and Spock follow him to prevent the disaster. But the price to do so is high. So spoilers for this episode, but also spoilers possibly for Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Cal Jones, would you like to sum up the story beats of this iconic classic Star Trek episode? Yes, I would love to do that. So are you ready, gentlemen? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. A doctor, A, not the, screams and does shout, and is the only part of this episode that I could do without. Back in time they go and into the past. As writers penned a new dilemma, I wonder, will it last? Spock, frustrated by circumstances, raves and rants, while Kirk, come on dude, keep it in your pants. The guest stole the show, as is often the case. I would have a rhyme, but I ran out of time, so let's just say Dynasty, enough said. Interesting. You're bringing your soap opera knowledge into this one. 
So who is the actor that played Edith Keeler? Is she somebody from Dynasty, I'm assuming? Oh, she would be none other than Joan Collins, who goes on to portray in the NBC, excuse me, ABC nighttime soap opera from the 80s dynasty as Alexis Carrington Colby Dexter Dexter. I assume you are a fan, sir. I've watched some of it. Just a little bit. <laughs> if you grew up in the 80s, you watched this show I, I because did. your mothers watched this show. Thank you. Was the show called Dynasty? Huh? Was it called Dynasty? <laughs> yes. Yes. I grew up in a Star Trek household. We didn't watch that crap. <laughs> I did not grow up in a Star Trek household. I had to be better than my environment. No, I'm not going to call it crap. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Absolutely never. But really, if my TV came on, it was the news, Star Trek, or Discovery Channel. Interesting. So with that said, Jonathan, what are your overall thoughts on this episode? Uh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I it was it was good. It was good for a TOS episode. It was one of the better ones that I've seen. Don't give me that for a TS TOS episode, crap, man. <laughs> Come on, come on, dude. Well, well listen, uh, okay. For a TOS episode, it was a good one from the ones I've seen. Uh, you know, if you've listened to us any bit of time, that I'm not a strong TOS fan. Uh, not because I really just dislike it. It's just because I've never really gotten into it as much. So hopefully I'll remedi- remedy that soon. Uh, but overall, I think it was a great episode. Uh, had a great premise and it, it's kind of reminiscent of a lot of the going back in time episodes that we've seen throughout Trick. And I've always enjoyed those. So overall, good episode for me. So they're reminiscent of this. I think you should say that. Well, well yeah. Because <laughs> this came well, first. I mean, from, from my perspective, they came first. <laughs> uh, but fair, yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jeremy, what are your thoughts, man? Um, having grown up on Voyager first before watching the original series, it's hard to go back to watch the original series. But I enjoyed it. I mean, I feel like anything else I say, I'm going to get lambasted for, so I'm just going to leave it at that. You're not going to get lambasted, man. Say, say, speak your mind, dude. I mean, it was it was a good episode, but, you know, like Jonathan, I'm just not a fan of the original series. Mm. Mm. Hurt me. Cal Jones. So, I liked it, and I have to remember something a friend of mine, Louis Trapani, said about going back and watching older Doctor Who's, and I'm wondering if, and I want to pose this question to Jeremy and Jonathan, is it you don't like the way that the sets look and the some of the acting styles, or is it the stories themselves? Curious. I think for me, it's more of the, of the set design, the story itself, because to me, it's, it's, it's campy. It's almost campy going back and watching the original series and then, you know, coming back to like DS9 and Voyager where they're more serious and more, I guess, more grounded. But I didn't have that, but I didn't have that issue with Doctor Who though when I went back and watched the original Doctor Who, which is supposed to be more campy. How is it possible that you think this is campy and you don't think Classic Who is campy? I mean, I think it's campy, but it did, that didn't distract me from watching it. Interesting. So what about you, Jonathan? Curious. As I said, it's, I mean, yes, I, I would be lying if I said that the set design was okay. Like, that that sticks out to me when I watch it. But that is not why I'm not into it. I I just hadn't, like, if I sit down and start with episode one, and start watching it episode by episode, I will, I'm pretty sure I will love it because it's trick. And, and, and that's kind of, as I was watching this episode, uh, which this is the second time, by the way, I watched it because we watched it earlier when we were kind of throughout a theory about discovery. Uh, but the second time I watched it, I mean, I even enjoyed it more because at the core, it's still trick. Like it, it is. I mean, you see those building blocks that made what, we all pretty much grew up watching. So, I mean, if I started from the beginning and then I invested in the story, I invested in the characters and I watched the development, then I think I would really enjoy it. Now, the set design, like I said, I'm, we have to understand when this was made, and I do. But, I mean, I'm going to spoil 
almost millennial. So <laughs> I like I like the pretty I like the pretty sets, the pretty shiny. But I can get over that if I just watched it. Let's, let's, cool. Let's get okay. I know. You, let me interject real quick, Gal. Uh huh. Let's, let's just get over the set design. It was made in the effing sixties. We, we know. Had, I know. We hadn't that. even been and on I, the moon yet, and this has been made. This was this was made. So, but that doesn't make you look at it like like if I brought you an old Model T to drive to work in. If you're just not into cars, you're gonna be like, what is this? Well, bring me a. 69 Dodge Charger, I would speak <laughs> differently, but. But, I mean, and that's just, that's just the point. Like, I'm not knocking it. Like, by no means am I saying set design makes this a bad show to watch and it's not good because of it or it's a negative. I'm just saying, in my opinion, because I did not grow up watching that and pretty much no shows that I've watched or I enjoyed were made that way. I can't really latch onto it immediately. Because of it, like even devoid of all of that, I think the same the same things that we cherish from the later series are all here in this episode and in this series. It's the relationships of our principal characters, the jabs, you know, the the quips they're giving each other throughout the episode, and all of that on top of what I feel is a very well written story, even if done today, would be a pretty darn good story you know well so that, that's just kind of what i was saying like once even because this was my second time watching this episode like i already knew what it looked like so i could I, that was like back of my mind so i enjoyed it even more because what i started to realize was this has what i love about trick and i think the entire series would be the same way once i take time to sit down and watch it but i mean i just be remiss if i didn't say that the set design sticks out to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Point taken. Point taken. Like, for instance, the biggest thing was the red alert uh, light on the helm thing. Stop <laughs> I it. just kind of chuckled at that. You just mad because the whole set can't turn red like they do in later series. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. But, but say, going back to what Lewis had told me was... When you're going back and whether it's Doctor Who, whether it's this or whether it's some other show, remember when it was made and judge it by the standards that it was made in that day and in at that time. So I'm not saying you guys aren't. I was just curious as to what you didn't like, because I'll tell you something that I like and or didn't like that has nothing to do with when it's made is no matter how many times or how many episodes I watch, I can't connect to the character of Dr. McCoy. For some reason, that character irritates me. It has nothing to do with the period it was made. It has nothing to do with the story. It's the character, for some reason, irritates me. But other than that, I agree with everything you guys just said. I personally thought it was a very good episode, and I think it could stand up if it were remade in today's society or today's standards. And like, I, I, I mean, so for instance, DS9 would, as we all know, is my favorite series. I saw DS9 when we were growing up watching Trick, uh, you know, cause I don't remember the exact years it came out, but you know, I was all into TNG and then there would be an episode of DS9 and, you know, I'd watch it. And obviously it wasn't the very first episode. It was somewhere in the middle. And other than being a black captain, like nothing really enticed me to it. Uh And it looked a lot better than TNG. But the problem was I was not for like a series like DS9. You just kind of have to be invested in the characters. And I think pretty much all the series, I just had to kind of get invested in, in it, even in TNG. Like, I didn't really get invested into it until I, you know, started seeing Data. Like, Data was my guy. Like, that's what intrigued me about it and made me want to watch it. And then once I watched more of it, it became a favorite. Like, I need to find that one character, that, like how that just irritates me. And I need to find that one that I really love. Like, everybody loves Kirk. And I get it. But I don't because I didn't watch it. Yeah. And and we're going to get into it. But I, I just feel like this episode of any really has almost the least to do with the futuristic aesthetic of the show. We're on the ship for like five seconds. Right. <laughs> and then we're like in the 1930s. So, 
I, I totally get what you guys are saying. I mean, it's definitely an aesthetic that has to grow on you if that's not what you grew up watching. Um, just like for me, when I go back to watch classic who I'm, I'm pretty much the same way as you, as you guys are on, you know, TOS. I'm like, uh, I get into the story, but really not just for me, but still there's jewels within there. And I feel like this is one of these jewels, but let's go ahead and get into it. So the episode starts with said red alert that John talked about. <laughs> the enterprise is running into ripples in time. Um, I love uh, what Kirk said. Well, Kirk explains it here. Someone or something down on the planet can affect changes in time, causing turbulence, waves of space displacement. After hitting one of the spacements, we see Sulu get injured, you know, so they call McCoy <laughs> to the bridge and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Bones administers Cordrazine. So I have to ask you guys, especially John, I guess maybe in this case, have you heard? <laughs> we gotta get through this stuff. <laughs> I gotta ask you guys, and maybe John in this case, have you heard of Cordrazine before in Trek? Because I don't I'm pretty sure it may have heard it, but it just didn't jump out at me. Yes, you've heard it. And because I was so sure of it, I looked it up because I figured this question would come up. Uh and you hear it a lot. And let me go to my notes here so I can tell you where. Um, pretty much Voyager, DS9, TNG have all had references to it. And so let's go. 2369, Crusher revived a deceased Deanna Troy with 10 cc's of Cordrazine used in conjunction with a cortical stimulator. That was in TNG Man of Power. Um... And we actually should have gotten this when we watched, we reviewed the episode uh, Tapestry from TNG. Mm-hmm. Crusher told her staff to prepare a Cordrazine series for Picard after his artificial heart had been damaged. Interesting. So, also happened with Bashir and Distant Voices. It happened on Voyager and Emanations. So, it's definitely something they built upon over the years. Yeah, and so what it said, which I didn't know, is, you know, they, you know, McCoy used it, he was saying, like, couple of drops. Like, that's how effective this was. Well, as time progressed, they learned how to perfect this to where they could use massive amounts more to produce greater results. So that 10 cc she used was, I mean, I don't know what a cc measurement is, but I'm pretty sure that's more than a couple of drops. Interesting. So, as you say, we learned that a few drops can save a man's life, but too much can drive a man mad, fearing they're in mortal danger. So, so Bones, they hit another time pocket or time, Eddie. Bones has an accident, and here and so forth, we get crazy Bones for the rest of the episode. Well, can we can we just have a, like an honorable mention? <laughs> so, when Sulu got his injection... Uh. <laughs> Those eyes, it's like, he, like, like he had a hit of cocaine or something. <laughs> well, they were setting us up. They were setting us up to see the effects of what this cortisone can actually do. Because he, he came up like big eye and everything. He's like, that was so good. Wait, <laughs> what? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna quit derailing this. I mean, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, that goes right into my next question. So this episode, and you know, we probably look at it now as being cheesy or overacted, but this episode acts a lot of DeForest Kelly uh, in this episode. So I, I'm gonna go to Jeremy for this. Like, what are your thoughts on the performance from Crazy Bones? And again, they're asking a lot from this actor to be crazy throughout this episode so thoughts on crazy bones crazy bone i mean you know having not seen a whole lot of the of the original series or the movies it seems very out of character for him to make this animated and i i kind of found it to be a little bit over the top even for this show (laughs) well that that goes right into my next question is (laughs) that so, so I think of the, the, uh, and I don't know if you've seen, I think this is the second or third episode of TOS, the, the naked time where we see, uh, basically Sulu kind of, and the whole ship for that matter, kind of going crazy. Um, I forgot what happens, but they, they all go kind of crazy. And this, that, this is the iconic thing you see with Sulu with the, uh, fencing sword. Um, so uh, it's, yeah. It, okay, yeah. it's kind of happened in TOS before where people go crazy. And, and I want to just throw it out there to you guys. Have, do you know another, can you think of another Star Trek episode or pretty much 
one person or the whole group crew, excuse me, or the whole crew kind of go mad. Mm. One of my favorite scenes from Voyager, I think it's in the season six or seven, the doctor has doing like a slideshow or something and Tuvok kind of goes into Pond Fard. They have to <laughs> sedate him. So they do this whole singing number. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's there was good. a there was another episode on DS9 where uh Luxana Troy is going through Betazoid menopause and it causes because she's an empath it causes her emotions to be imprinted on anyone else in the vicinity of her oh wow so all of a sudden the entire crew like she came to ds9 because she pretty much fell in love with odo although odo didn't return to love but that love toward odo rubbed off on everybody else so when julian bashir got around her the next person he seen was Dax. Oh, boy. and he. <laughs> so the whole crew, everybody was in love with somebody. Jake Cisco was chasing Kira. Kira was chasing this other person. <laughs> it was just, it was a mess of a show, but it was hilarious. Oh man, that is funny. I remember that episode actually. <laughs> and I just watched the episode of Enterprise where the Vulcans were affected by. Tr- Tim Tremacil D or something D in the expanse and it drove them crazy, but this was bad crazy. Like they went to murderous zombies type. Oh wow. So of course McCoy uh incapacitates the transporter operator and goes <laughs> it goes down to the planet and the away team Murderers <laughs> Assassins <laughs> <laughs> The away team follows. So uh, I just want to mention another point before I go on. Like, there are so many subtle, well-written comedic moments that either had me smiling hard or cracking up in this episode. And and the first one, I think, is when McCoy, like, checks Kirk. You know, Kirk is trying to give him some advice on the uh, Cortrazine. He's like, you were about to take, take, make a medical comment, Jim. You know, just little quirks <laughs> like that throughout the episode. Freaking hilarious. And even when we get on the planet, uh, the, the Guardian of Forever even throws some jabs at Spock when Spock is talking like, why are you talking in riddles? Like, I'm talking to you primitives can understand, you know. It, it's, <laughs> it, this episode is written so well with just stuff that flowed. And this is kind of the camaraderie that these actors have. Um, that I'm really trying to get into more of because I, when I see it and I catch it, I really, really love it. And again, like it just had me cracking up when I was watching the episode. So they arrive on the planet and the way team sees the forever gate appearing to be tens of thousands of years old, the single source of these time displacements. Kyle, I'm asking you, man, what do you think of the visual representation that we see here and maybe speak on how faithful what we see spoilers for season three of Star Trek Discovery, how faithful the representation that we saw on Discovery was of the Forever Gate. So I'm going to say it was very faithful. And the reason I say that is I immediately knew visually what it was. I recognized it from what I saw in Discovery. Kind of, as Jonathan said, to me, Discovery came first and now I'm just seeing this. So for me to go backwards and be able to recognize it, I would say they did a very good job in discovery of representing it. So I thought they did a very good job. My question is, are we to think that this is the same planet that discovery was on for those two episodes, or did it just appear on another planet? I wasn't sure about that. I think they said in discovery that they moved that the the guardians moved to that to the planet that discovery found them on because of the temporal the time war. Yeah. So so to hide from the time war or the time war temporal wars uh, from hundreds of years ago, he kind of or it kind of moved around or Got hit you. to this new planet. Got you. But I mean, in in that vein, like, what do we think about the guardians' explanation of what it is? Neither na- man nor m- machine. Its own beginning and ending. Like John, does this does this rank true to the representation we get of what it is in Discovery? Yes, 
I mean, I get it. It does. But I, I'm still waiting for the moment that, and we'll never get it, I'm sure, that somebody created this. You know what I mean? Like this, for instance, again, and I'm, like I said, I'm watching Enterprise now. And, you know, they're in the expanse and there's these huge spheres and pretty much everybody in the expanse thought that they were naturally occurring at one point. But then they realized that, hey, these things are made out of an alloy. That means someone made them. So no gods made them. There were no spiritual things that caused them to be made. There were actually a advanced civilization that made it. And that's kind of what I get. The Even from this episode and from the Discovery episode, I still get a strong feel like there's somebody that made these things or made this thing. And and I can agree with that. It's either someone made it or maybe there's more of them out there because it seems weird just to be one. I, I, that might right. be what's hanging me up as well, uh, just to be this one single thing and, and no other copies or anything out there. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around an infinite thing that has no beginning it has no end it just exists throughout time all the time every time like it, it's just hard to wrap your mind around it and that, i think that's kind of how like I, I i'm just i feel like it had to be created yeah and there's other things that like like this that come up in trek that are kind of like just godlike and you really don't get an explanation of who created or, or maybe its own explanation of itself is that it wasn't created. It's, it's just been here, you know, like the cues or whatever. So is our warning to give a reason why it's there? Or is that part of us as a watcher not wanting to accept seeing something that is so godlike because we don't you know what I'm saying? That's that's just sort of like almost a barrier yeah. we don't want to go past. So we want to have this reason for it as other than saying it is godlike. Yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, the, the guardian said it itself is our prim- primitive minds. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, even when thinking of the Bible and thinking of, of right. God and we can't even, you know, we can't compute on how that works uh, in a lot of ways. So, True. Uh, yeah, there was yeah. a quote I was listening to. I was uh, not forgot who I was listening to. It was on a, another podcast I listened to. Listen to, and you know the quote was, and I don't remember exact words, but every new technology that's so far beyond belief is con- always considered alien or godlike. Yeah, even though it's not, but you just are. Your brain can't comprehend it being a technology. Yeah, which um. Um, Captain Pike has a good moment in season two of Discovery when he kind of says something very similar. Um, it, it just, you know, that, you know, technology so advanced, it seems godlike. It seems like a god. Right. So that's something that, that's reoccurring in Trek as well. So the Guardian activates the gate to show Kirk and Spock its immense power. And, you know, next the away team finds Crazy Bones and Okay, this you gotta help me out here. So they 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 find Can crazy we stop bones. Stop calling him crazy bones. This is who he is. He's crazy bones. I gotta be real. <laughs> Murderers. <laughs> so yeah, I gotta say that every time I say crazy bones, you gotta yes. repeat that. But but. Instead of immediately beaming him to sick bay, which they should have done because after all, they think he might die because of this Cortrazine injection. They sit there and Kirk ponders, huh, maybe we can use this gate to go back in time and fix Bones. You know, which, uh, really, Kirk? Giving Bones just enough time to run through the gate. So I'm going to ask Jeremy, like, do you, should they just have left immediately, beamed them straight to sick bay? They, you know, him being in such a dire situation seems like most of the times they almost automatically beam the person to sick bay. I, I don't. Why? <laughs> you would think that'd be the thing to do, but then we wouldn't have a whole show to watch about it now, would we? <laughs> yeah, just often the case. <laughs> you know why they did it? I think I know why they did it. Uh-oh. Let's hear it, Cal. That's because they were murderers. <laughs> murderers in disguise. Oh, <laughs> nice. So, you know, Bones goes through. We find out that time has changed. The Enterprise is no longer in orbit. 
So the only way to fix the timeline is for Kirk and Spock to enter the Forever Gate. So, Kyle, uh, this episode heavily plays on something we often talk about in Doctor Who, which is the fixed point in time concept. Kyle Jones, what is a fixed point in time? A fixed point in time is something that is written in time that cannot be changed for whatever reason. It is something that has to happen because the fact of it not happening can potentially alter time or unravel time. In this case, drastically alters time as they know it. So to further um, simplify what you said there, Edith Keeler... Fixed point, homeless guy that picks up the phaser, not fixed point. Because he just like shoots his. Why did that just Okay, let's go on. I love this episode, guys. I just, uh, I really do, uh, to be honest. It's, I just thought that was hilarious to do phaser itself. But let's go ahead. You know, uh, Kirk and Spock arrived to the Great Depression era. Um, any thoughts on the awkwardness of our duo spacemen arriving in the 1930s? And I'll just leave it open to the floor. Anybody want to comment on the awkwardness of them being in the 1930s? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, I find it quite interesting because we, a couple of episodes ago, we keep referring now to Doctor Who, but on discussing Who, we went back and reviewed right before Christmas an episode or a story called The Talons of Wang Chiang. And we made reference to the British audiences or the British broadcasting or creation, their portrayal of Chinese people. That being said, it was interesting watching now Star Trek made in the United States, who uses a similar trope to explain how Spock looks different. It's because he's Chinese. Uh, that was cringe a little bit. Yes, it was. Very much cringe. Not only did he call him Chinese, but they said his head got called a mechanical <laughs> rice pickle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, what the- but again, you have to understand what time this was made. <laughs> True. Absolutely. Absolutely true. It's still better than the than Mickey Rooney playing the Japanese landlord in Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> but you know, you see that uh, again. Uh, it's it's amazing how these series kind of have a lot in common. Different common episodes. So on Enterprise, there's this episode where uh, Captain Archer and Topal travels back to. I don't know, is it the 1930s or something, America, Detroit? And again, you have a human and a Vulcan, and they're trying to explain away to Paul's ears and all that. So, I mean, it's, I don't remember what the excuse was. Well, you know, in Voyager, when they went back to the 90s, they just gave Tuvok a hat. Well, it still came off, and I think they explained that as birth defects. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You guys make a very interesting point. We're kind of butchering this episode to some degree, but we keep referencing how future episodes, future series of Star Trek pay homage to many concepts and episodes by reenacting them in various forms. So the material, while we're kind of, like I said, butchering it to some degree, they obviously have reverence for this material. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, some of the shenanigans that go on besides how Spock is portrayed to the policeman, they they steal clothes, they assault a police officer, and they break into a basement all within the first few hours of being in the 1930s. So, yeah. Whatever you got to do to survive, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they arrive... At the basement, uh, Spock tells Kirk that he needs a computer to link up to his tricorder to read the data he captured from the gate. So I find it so funny that Kirk thinks that Spock can just build a computer. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's probably nobody living in 2020 who could build a computer from scratch. You know, we're not that far from removed from, you know, when they were created. So I just find that fascinating. Uh, to coin a phrase, that he thinks Spock can build a computer. 
Um, so did any of you guys think Spock stood a chance um, in this zinc plated vacuum tube culture? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just knew you could do it. That, it's Spock, man. I, man. It's Spock. <laughs> It's Spock. <laughs> That's like finding a, a door that you can't open and saying data open this door. Like it's data. He's gonna open it. Like it, it's Spock. Now, like if you bring it to real real life, like I don't think that'll ever be possible. Somebody could build a computer from what he had available. Yeah. But but I mean that being said, I love seeing Spock do his best MacGyver impression. I thought that was a lot of good fun to see all the wires and vacuum tubes and, you know, putting this thing together. And it was even awesome to see uh, either Ke- Keeler's reaction to when she walked in the room. <laughs> I thought that was good as well. So many great fun moments in this episode. And he was doing it with stone knives and bear skins. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> So, speaking of Edith Keeler, let's go ahead and get into Edith Keeler. Kyle Jones, like, what are your initial impressions of Edith? Mm. At first, I didn't recognize her. And then after I did recognize her, it made me pay a little bit more attention to the show, to be honest with you. And I thought she, I love the British accent, but I thought she was graceful. And quite frankly, I thought she was a little bit too good for Kirk. Wow. So I've never seen Knots Landing. Tell me about how her what her portrayal is in Knots Landing. Well, that won't do you a bit of good because she was in Dynasty. Dynasty, yeah. yeah that one. Um, that. Yeah, she would no, definitely not be on Knots Landing. Um, I didn't like that one. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what was your question again? You threw me with Knots Landing. <laughs> so just like what, what, what was her portrayal like in this versus what you've seen from her? In, oh, in whatever, she was, she was so was. nice in this one. She was like a complete 180. She put the capital B in a certain word in her character in um, Dynasty. So, yeah, she was the original hardcore stone cold capital B in Dynasty. So she was awesome in this. Interesting. Uh, Jeremy, your thoughts on Edith Keeler? Um, I, I have to agree with Kyle there. She's too good for Kirk. And hey, not, you know, I've having grown up watching Dynasty, she, this is not what I'm used to from her. She is not this nice. <laughs> so that was her welcome change. So, John, like, what about more of the context of this episode? Uh, what do you, what do you, because I know you haven't seen that. So, what do you think about Edith Keeler? <laughs> Um, I liked her. I, and she is a beautiful lady. Like, I, I honestly got, you know, usually from what I've seen of TOS, Kirk always gets the girl. But it's usually like the obvious, like, most sexiest girl you could find. And she wasn't that. Like, she was just like a good, wholesome, beautiful woman. Yeah. And he was truly attracted to her. Um, uh, now, and that's the physical side of it, but the other side of it, oh, yeah. I liked her character in this. I liked yes. her thoughts. I liked how she thought. Like, she embodied the thought that created the Federation and Starfleet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that alone just made me fall in love with her. <laughs> but I mean, just think about her, what she was thinking about at that time. Like, a hundred years from her time, and nobody was thinking that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's crazy. She was embodying that Roddenberry vision, that Federation vision, right. in every freaking way. That's why I love this character, man. And you could see why Kirk would feel the same way. You know, she's running this twenty first Street mission, and you know she Im- immediately helps Kirk and Spock out by giving them jobs. And again, what's most surprising about Edith, Edith Keeler is that she's a true freaking visionary. She really is in every way. And see, it, it, that's the type of people we look up to now. You know, it's sort of like Elon Musk, you know, trying to go to Mars. Right. You know, that type of vision of what the future could be. You know, that's that's everything that she's portraying in this in this episode. And I loved every minute of it. And I can see why Kirk was smitten by her as well. <laughs> And, you know, something that I find really interesting about this character and more so about this story 
And maybe it is a bigger part of the story than I realize, or maybe it's not. But it is, to me, this story is saying every person has the potential to be great. And you never know, and you can't discount anyone because they might be great. Because think about it, this is still in the 60s, set in the 30s before the 70s, women's liberation, etc. and so forth. And they're presenting this female character as someone who is such a great visionary. And I think that in itself is, for lack of a better word, visionary. Yeah. And, and man, it's all about the butterflies, man, the butterfly effect. Um, once Spock is able to get this computer up and running, um, Kirk and Spock are met with a pretty freaking heavy decision. They discover that Edith is the key and we have two possible scenarios. One, Edith is killed in the traffic accident or two, the president and Edith work together, you know, with the whole visionary thing six years from now on a very important project. Now, when you go back and talk about butterflies, what this does is a good mission. But they even they say, they say in an episode at the wrong time, we eventually learned that Keeler's peace movement would allow for Germany to develop the first atomic bomb, thus changing World War Two and the course of the planet and the course of the future, which that's just, that's <laughs> that's hard to frame that this such a good person with good ideas at the wrong time could lead the world down such a different path path. Remember what we said before, fixed points in time. So what do you guys think of the dynamic of these two scenarios and the eventual eventual revelation in Spock's words, which he said several times? Edith Keeler must die. Thoughts? So first, have we heard that before? Like that sound, maybe it's just because he said it more than once. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like that was like said kind of, I don't know, like maybe like a parody or like a, a meme or something. Yeah. I don't know. I've <sighs> seen, I've seen that before. I feel like. Wasn't a movie like John Tucker must die or something? That might maybe. be what you're thinking of. Anyway, that, <laughs> but I, I thought that was a, uh, that was a great, great job by the writers to kind of put a another small problem in the greater problem. Like it just made the story a little bit more intricate. So I, I, I really enjoyed that part. Now I don't like, I wish they would have made the death a little more other than just getting hit by Trump. Oh, I love, well, I love the cl- climax of that. I love the climax of it. I, I just would have expected it like maybe one of the people she was helping ended up trying to rob her or something and kill, which that's kind of dark, I guess, for Star Trek. But like that would have made the story even better. I agree. Okay. Let's, let's, we're going to get into that. Let's table that for just a second because I really want to dive into that uh, once we get there. But, but real quick, real quick before we get there, we're almost there. I want to talk about Crazy Bones one more time. Assassin. Murderers. Thank you. Any thoughts on Bones, Dr. McCoy's arrival to the past? Any, any thoughts on when he first gets there? I've mentioned already the dude phasering himself. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on when he gets there and um, when he meets Edith? Like, any thoughts on all that? Man, he looked rough. <laughs> God, he looked rough. Like, I, I, and they never directly say it. In the episode, but I mean, all things point to this cortisone being like a a drug, like not not. Yeah. I mean, I know medicine is a drug, but I mean, like a opioid or a, like a meth or something. That's how they're making it. I mean, he gets there and he looked like he's been on a strung out bender for two weeks. Yeah, like yeah, he it's... is rough. He had been on a bender for a couple of hundred years in reverse. <laughs> oh, Cal made a time joke. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh man, but it it was I, I liked it. I and it kind of it kind of solidified um, the theory Spock threw out at the beginning about time being time comes in like waves and currents and eddies. Yeah. It just kind of brings people to where they should be at a certain point in time. So. 
that was good to see that that happened that way. Yeah, that's actually a good point because I think they make the they mentioned when they first try to go back, you know, he could be anywhere on the planet. You know, we could miss him by a year or something. <laughs> right. And they just happen to get there at the right time, um, which is very, very interesting. Because you think of a plot hole if if Spock had not said that at that point, like, and then he yeah. just shows up and we're been like, oh, it's so how did he just it's just go figure. He shows up right there. Hmm. Yeah. They could have missed him by a year. I wonder where we've heard that again. <laughs> Talking about Crazy Bones, I mean, I love how <laughs> a few things about him. I love how he thinks the med- the medicine here is barbaric, like similar to what Spock talks of of the computer technology. <laughs> he talks about needers and sutures. <laughs> I thought those was fantastic. stitching them together like a <laughs> like clothing or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you know, I mentioned the poor idiot phasing it, phasering himself. Um I love seeing how Bones thinks he's either unconscious or demented mad because <laughs> he can't believe what's going on. Like, how did I wake up to this? <laughs> and in classic Bones fashion, I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. Right. <laughs> a that joke that keeps going on from, you know, Voyager time. We see that a lot. So, of course, as Cal mentioned, Kirk would fall in love with a Edith Keeler, of course. Um, Cal, I'm going to throw this back to you. Any thoughts on the relationship? I know you said you didn't like it. What was it about it? I, f- I feel like it was pretty, you know, harmless. They just had this natural t- type of attraction to each other. She was a very enlightened individual. And I can see why Kirk would be very attracted to that. Yeah, I could see why he would be attracted to that. I didn't buy the I'm in love with you over the course of a couple of days. Now, I know, you know, it happens, you know, love at first sight. I get that. But knowing, I think, what else we know about the character of Kirk and he basically can't keep it in his pants, like I said before, (laughs) if I didn't know that, I think I could buy this a little bit better. But because I know that, I just see this as another conquest for him. I'm trying to look it up because I'm not sure how long they were actually in the past. I think it may have been weeks, actually. I think it was a couple of weeks. But even if it was a month, you know, let's just say it was a month. That still does not absolve him from knowing the other conquest of Kirk. Yeah, true. And I mean, especially when Spock is telling him Edith Edith Keeler must die. He reiterates this several times, but he's going on with the relationship. Now, in his defense, it like sitting at that dinner table, listening to her express her beliefs of the future. I think that that was the turning point of their relationship, even though they were not really in a relationship at the time. But I think that's what got Kurt like. I think before that, he was just looking at her as, you know, hey, here's the next one I'm going to knock down. But- you know what? I think I could have bought into that if he would have made the simple argument of let's remove her from this time, take her to the future, and let that be the way for her to leave the time and then have a discussion mm-hmm. about that. Then I think I might could have believed it. That is interesting, and I hadn't even thought about that. They could have just took her to the future instead of letting her die. Bingo. Uh, but then would that not have affected something else? Not if she was supposed to die. But maybe her death is, I mean, it's time stuff. Like that truck probably was going to run over the person that was going to, you know what I mean? Right. Like because it hit her, the truck stopped there. <sighs> There's an episode called Father's Day that you should watch. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yep. Me? I'm just making it. It's a Doctor Who episode called Father's okay. Day that kind of okay. has the same premise yeah well it's that timey-wimey stuff cal talks about yes but you know i would have bought the whole relationship better if she had thwarted his advances like when they were walking down the street and she grabbed and he grabs her hand and she would have kind of swatted away say i'm sorry i'm not in your relationship i've got my yeah. my priorities to focus on but i think she was being more the advancer than he was yes that's what i was about to say she's the one that kissed him not him kissed her and even from the beginning, like when she found him in that in the basement, like you could see the look in her eyes like, oh, yeah, I like him. Maybe she just wanted some strange. 
know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he was different. He was different than what she's normally used to seeing in their soup kitchen. So, and also, I love, I love, love, love the moment when the um, guy in the soup kitchen is like, "Oh, she's crazy. What does she's gonna well, gonna get for you for the free food?" And and Kirk just like, "The shut soup up. ain't free." <laughs> yeah, he he just t- tells the dude to shut up because he was like this broad and stuff. He's like, "I ain't hearing that junk." Getting enlightened, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's like another thing of the time too. They had the broad and the, you know, all that type of lingo. <laughs> this soup ain't free. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and talk about the ending of the episode, which happens pretty rapidly. Keeler mentions McCoy to Kirk. Kirk runs back to the soup kitchen to find bones. The trio meet out front. Edith tries to cross the street to follow. Bones tries to save Keeler. Kirk holds him back. Such a freaking powerful moment, but it, it, I'm going to leave it open. Thoughts on this final, cl- the climax of the episode when, you know, Kirk has to make this decision to to not only go save her himself, but also hold, hold back Bones in the process. As you know, they all just mm-hmm. sit there and stand by as the inevitable has to happen. So, Janeway said it best. It's best not to think about it. But I did think about it. And so, what I thought about was, was she meant to die? Or, like, was Kirk meant to be there? Because if Kirk hadn't have been there, she wouldn't have come across the street. (laughs) So, you just hurt your brain, John. Yeah. And Janeway said it best. It's just best not to think about it. But I thought about it. And that bothered me. yeah, I thought about the same thing too. Like, what if they never found a forever gate? Would she still have died? Right. Would they exist? Would the other no. optimistic future would have happened? Uh, what's gonna be is gonna be. I guess exactly. I don't know. All I will say is, you named your daughter after your daughter. What, Doctor Who? I'll explain later. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh gosh. What? I'll, I'll explain when we're done. <laughs> this episode is gone sideways. <laughs> well, that's a Doctor Who reference. That's when Doctor Who is at his best. Uh, trust me. One of the, one of the best Matt, Matt Smith episodes right there. I need a few drops of cortisone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that first Prince episode when Carlton gets high and he's like jumping on the chairs. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, man, I mean, for me, I just love this ending. It was gut-wrenching. It was impactful. They made me like Edith Keeler in this short episode. And seeing our principal characters have to just sit back and not do anything. And, and, and Bone saying, do you know what you just done? He knows. He knows. Man, and I think best acting from all three characters in that oh, moment. Yeah. Bravo. Bravo. Oh. Bravo, and Spock man. only had two lines in that moment. He knows. He knows. Like, that that was perfect. Yes. All of it was yes. perfect. Yeah. And I said the writing in this episode, it, it deserves every award it's gotten because just the writing of this episode is so good. So good. Is some of the set design uh, part of its time? Yes. Of course it is. Is maybe some of the acting choices a part of its time? Yes. But on the whole, the script and... The character moments in uh, culminating in this very, very impactful, hard to deal with, uh, impossible decision that our characters have to make is, is just so tough and so impactful. And this is what I come to Star Trek for. And it's not that happy bow. It's not that happy bow we've been talking about all the time. It's leaving with this hard, heavy, you know, contemplating all the various situations in your head type feeling when it's over. Cause it, you're not feeling good, and even when they get back to the planet, Kirk's like, "Just, just beam me up. <laughs> Let's get out of here." Yeah, it, definitely not the big bow, but it, not the big bow, but overall the bow. Yeah, like it closed, and it closed. I dare say, satisfyingly. Uh, but I mean, it closed, and, and and I think it was, it couldn't have ended any different. Yeah, totally agreed. Yeah, the more I watch this episode, the more I love it. But isn't that one of the best things about good writing is it makes you 
not, may go away not necessarily happy, but thoughtful. Yeah, that's what the best track does. It, it makes you think about a situation. Uh, think even either if it's scientific or story wise, it's, it's most of the time leaving you pondering on, huh, what if that actually did happen? You know, mm-hmm. and that's what you got to love. You know, I, I'd implore to um, uh, Matthew Turnage to write in and and. Cause, cause he sent me some feedback on our last episode review. <laughs> um, you know, saying that we probably were a little harsh on it, which I think we probably kind of were. Um, but, but, um, yeah, I would love to hear his point of view on this episode. Cause he did mention in the email that he, that we talked about that is one of his favorites. So I would love to hear his, his point of view as well. But with that said, um, guys, let's go around a horn and get everybody's. Final thoughts and slash rating of this episode. And let's start with you, Jeremy. It was a good episode. I think I enjoyed talking about the episode more than actually more than actually watching the episode. Um, but I mean, it was it was a good episode. I'd give it a four. What about you, John? Um, I agree with Jeremy. Like, and I don't want to take away from how good the episode was, but I enjoyed the conversation more. And I think that's maybe what. Kind of this episode was meant to do to, and a lot of episodes in Trek were meant to at least start a conversation, make you think, make you kind of examine things a little differently. And I think, and then I think that did his job if that indeed was its goal. Uh, but overall, a great episode. Um, I'll be right there with Jeremy and I'll say a four. All right. What about you, Cal Jones? You know what? I'm going to give it a little higher. I'm going to give it a 4.2 out of 5. I enjoyed it. I agree with everything the two gentlemen just said, but I can't say that I have ever found myself really enjoying watching, being captivated by an episode of the original series for the most part, but I was with this episode. So 4.2. What about you? Yeah, man, for me, it's, it's going to be a solid five, man. I, I, you know, every time I watch this episode, I love it more and more. Definitely when you look into context of what the Fevergate is and how it's reached all the way into 2020 <laughs> and played impact in a Star Trek Discovery episode as well. And just the impact of Edith Keeler and the hard choices that, you know, Kirk has to make in this episode i thought all of that was impactful and overall i feel like it was good fun um like i love seeing spock me and macgyver in this episode <laughs> uh, i had a lot of moments where i was just laughing out loud i'm sure my neighbor hates me but <laughs> i was just laughing out loud and it, it's some of the quips that were going back and forth between some of these characters man so yeah, I, I, for for an episode where we were, weren't in space and we weren't on the starship enterprise I loved it. I loved it, man. Seriously. So with that said, let's let's go around a horn and see what everybody has been working on, watching, listening to podcast related or otherwise. And we'll go in the same order. Jeremy, what do you think, man? What, what have you been working on, dude, or watching or listening to? So I've been catching up on Mandalorian season two. Really good. And I've been really getting into one division, which is good. But I feel like I miss some information that'll make it even better. Having not knowing the actual backstory of the characters and such, comic book wise, are you caught up? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've I've seen all the episodes so far. Comic book stories, you are 100 percent correct. You would be so enriched if you knew the comic books. Interesting. I don't, and I feel like I'm enriched. So, <laughs> woohoo! I have not taken that plunge yet, but maybe. What about you, John? Um. So, as I've mentioned a few times tonight, uh. I've been watching Star Trek Enterprise, and it's been a long road. (laughs) You couldn't let it go, could you? You couldn't let it go. I could not. Um, But I finally got to the the fourth season uh, where they found the Zindi and the Zindi weapon. Listen, you get past the theme song and probably get past the first season and a half. Like, you can't put this show down. Yeah. So, like, good. so I got off work yesterday. I got home about six and it was my night off from the gym. So I said, you know what? I'm off tomorrow. 
I'm going to just stay up and watch Star Trek. Probably, I've, I've decided I'd stay up to probably two. And I'm just getting, I'm just going into the fourth season. I want you to know I went to bed about five this morning because oh, wow. I could not. And you know, Netflix does that to you, like that whole play next episode yeah. thing winding down and then the skip intro. And before you know it, you're watching the next episode and you're like, I'm going to watch this one and I'm going to go to bed. But you can't. Like when you hit that fourth season of Enterprise, <laughs> it's so good. And they start digging into the human nature of humans. And I don't know if that's the right way to say that. But <laughs> I mean, you see them, you see Archer battling. Like it, it's just good to see, you know, we see TNG, DS9, Voyager, all these places talking about the Prime Directive and how they can't violate it. And you're like, and, you know, from the outside looking in, you're like, well, why not? Why not this one time? You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. it justifies it. But watching this is watching Enterprise through, especially till season four, you start seeing why it's important. And you start seeing the battle that humans, humanity had to go through, the thoughts they had to go through when we first started exploring space and how we came to the prime directive and what we could and could not do. Uh, it's just amazing, man. It's just, it's, it's very, it's a very good, very good series. Like one of it the most underrated, us, dude. One of the most underrated series of Star Trek, man. People, it really people give it a riff, man. But it's so good. It's so good. It is so good. Get past the theme song. Skip the theme song. You can do skip intro on Netflix. You don't even have to watch it. But it's a good episode. So that's what I'm watching. Also, I wanted to mention. I am listening to the audio book I think everybody should listen to. It's called Hate, Inc. Uh, by Matt Tabibi. Um, on the cover, it says, Why Today's Media Makes Us Despise One Another. Uh, but it's a good listen. Uh, this, this guy, he's been a journalist for many, many years. And he's just kind of discussing the path that media, mainstream print, cable news, all that, the path that they've been on where we come from and where it's going and how it's affecting us and what we think about in the world. So I think everybody should give that a read or a listen. There's a lot of good information in it. Interesting. Cal Jones, what about you, man? All right. Since we keep mentioning Doctor Who or I keep mentioning Doctor Who, I would say if anyone wants to find out more about some of the things we've mentioned Doctor Who wise on here, you can check out our other podcast at discussingwho.com. Awesome sauce. So that's One Division on Disney Plus from Jeremy. It is Star Trek Enterprise from wherever you get Star Trek from John, as well as Hate Inc. by Matt to. Tabibi, I think that's how he said. Yeah, <laughs> And it's uh, check out the Discussing Who podcast from Kyle Jones. And I'm going to say uh, the things I've been into is I'm still chugging through uh, Andromeda, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, which, you know, it's, it's good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you're a Babylon 5 fan, Babylon 5 is now on HBO Max, remastered even, even though the CG still is kind of bad. But remastered on HBO Max, so if you're in the Babylon 5, you can check it out there. And finally, I'm going to give a podcast recommendation to check out the Inside of You podcast with Michael Rosenbaum. It is really good. If you're in the Smallville at all, um, there are some really great episodes with Tom Willing and uh, Kristen Kirk. Um on there as well and he has pretty much everybody on this this podcast and it's easy to listen to uh and i'm I'm really i've i've probably listened to like 10 hours of that in the last week just catching up on old episodes and if you're you know in a smallville at all i say check out the michael rosemond podcast inside of you really good and with that said uh guys if you are a fan of city on the edge forever uh, don't like our interpretation of it or have additional comments that you can probably talk us down on. Please send that in to fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. Thank you for listening. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.
climb aboard for adventure. Your traveling companions are fellow fans of Doctor Who. That's right, it's the podcast Discussing Who, exploring the worlds of Doctor Who, past, present, and future. Find out more at DiscussingWho.com. Discussing Network.